Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. Uh, the last couple of podcasts, I got away from talking about some of the books I have and focused instead on the value of apologetics and some interesting quotations about apologetics. And I'd like to get back to another book that uh, I hope you enjoy. I know I did a lot. It's called The Creator Revealed. Subtitle, A Physicist Examines the Big Bang and the Bible. Uh, the author is uh, Michael G. Strauss. So let me say something about him first. He's the son of a former pastor at a church that I attend. Uh, he's professor of physics at the University of Oklahoma, does research in experimental elementary particle physics at CERN, C-E-R-N, over in Europe. Uh, he's got all sorts of awards for teaching and research. He speaks all around the world. He's especially interested in the relationship between science and Christianity. And uh, he was featured, actually, in one of Lee Strobel's books that uh, you might have picked up and looked at yourself called The Case for Miracles. And uh, Mike joined us uh, last summer for an apologetics conference that we had via Zoom. And I tell you, the people were really impressed with him. I, I'm not sure a lot of people knew what he did and knew what he'd written. And so they... Uh, were like new to what he had to say and were really impressed. I heard from several people about how much they enjoyed him. So uh, Mike Strauss is the person who wrote this book. Lee Strobel said this about it. He said, this book, he's talking about, it says it's a clear, concise, and extraordinarily compelling description of how cosmology and physics point toward a creator whose description fits the God of the Bible. And uh, he says that, that Mike Strauss integrates science and scripture in a masterful and illuminating way. And Strobel says he'll be giving this book away to skeptics and Christians. J.P. Moreland, professor of philosophy up at uh, Biola, he said, I know of no other book in print that does such a masterful job of taking very complicated issues and making them easy to understand by ordinary believers. I think that's the key. Uh, he's, he's a sharp guy. But he can take difficult things and have a good time with them. Uh, you'll end up laughing at some of the things he talks about. He's, he's fun to listen to, very kind uh, person. And uh, it's, it's a short book. I think it's under 140 pages, around 140 pages. So good grief. I couldn't even decide where to start with this. There were so many good parts to it. But he talks about the Big Bang. He talks about the Creator being transcendent. He talks about design in the whole universe, and then design on the earth. And so those are his big three ideas, that, that the Big Bang and that the design in the universe and design here on earth have revealed a, a supernatural creator. And then the second half of the book, he talks about the Bible. So the first half is the God that's revealed in physics. And the second one is he <laughs> rolls up his sleeve and goes after a pretty tough area, which is... How do you read Genesis? So he's got a chapter on the days of Genesis, uh, the order of creation. What about sin and death and the future? So he's willing to tackle some things that maybe some authors would shy away from. So like I said, I couldn't really decide where to go. I'm going to cover a chapter here. It's chapter 5. He calls it Design in the Universe. And he said the key thing is that all these laws looking out at the universe, the physical laws that describe the universe, he says these laws are precisely tuned to allow for the possibility of life. And this is not just his thought. He uh, mentions a book called The Anthropic Cosmological Principle. Well, that's a mouthful, huh? 
Two astronomers, Barrow and Tipler, document over 100 physical constants and laws that have to be finely tuned to allow life to exist in the universe. So if you want to think about it, uh, think of a control panel somewhere that has a hundred dials, for example, and these dials control different aspects of the universe. And I'll tell you the three that he mentions in just a second. Anyway, so they control different parameters in the universe, and each knob has all these markings on it. And every knob has to be set exactly right. If you twist that knob just slightly one way or the other, left or right, you ruin the possibility for life. And imagine having a hundred of these that have to be just exactly right. And so, um, because Mike says there are so many of these, he said, I, and he said uh, Barrow and Tipler's book is so difficult. He said, I'm just going to choose three out of all of these different parameters. The first is how much stuff is in the universe. Now, he says matter and energy were created when the universe began. And so most people go, okay, well, that's nice. So that's how all the matter came about. But he said, you know, you have to have the exact amount of matter in the universe if you're going to have a viable universe. That seems odd, doesn't it? You'd think, well, you know, a star here, a star there, so what? But he says, okay, the universe starts and it's expanding right now. You have to keep that in mind. The universe is expanding. Everything's getting further apart from each other. You still have gravity working. You still have things being attracted to each other. And he says, if at the beginning of the universe there had been a little bit too much matter, then that gravitational attraction that everything had would have caused the universe to collapse back in on itself. So it would have started to expand and then poof, right back to the beginning. And it would happen before stars could have formed or planets could have formed or galaxies or us. So that's if there's just slightly too much stuff. But what would have happened if there was not enough matter in the universe? If there'd been too little, he says, then everything in the universe would have just gone whoosh and spread out too quickly and there wouldn't have been enough gravity working to bring these things together to form galaxies and solar systems and us. So he's saying, okay, so what's the big picture here? You needed to have just the right matter. If it's not tuned, then either the whole thing collapses in on itself, kind of a big crunch, or you don't get any stars or galaxies to support life. So there you go. He says, even if it was a tiny amount of difference, we wouldn't have had what we have today. So there you go. There's one thing. Uh, he mentions another book called Cosmic Coincidences. And uh, two physicists discuss this idea of the matter, the amount of matter being well-tuned. And these two authors, Gribben and Reese, write this. If this were a coincidence, then it would be a fluke so extraordinary as to make all other cosmic coincidences pale into insignificance. Isn't that interesting? So here are two physicists, and I don't know if they're believers or not, but they're just saying that, good heavens, this is just one of these hundred dials we're talking about. If, if this is not exactly right as far as the amount of matter, we're not going to be around to know about it. All right, so there's the first thing. Here's a second parameter or second dial that has to be exactly right, and that's what's called the strong nuclear force. Now, what he gets into here, and I'll go over it real quickly, but he said within one second after the universe was created, scientists tell us that you had primordial quarks, and they slammed together to form neutrons and protons. 
and they formed atomic nuclei. So within about three minutes after the Big Bang, you've got hydrogen, helium, and even some lithium had come into existence. So he says the force that attracts these neutrons and protons to each other and holds them together, kind of the glue of uh, atoms, is called the strong nuclear force. Well, guess what? That strong nuclear force has to be exactly the right strength if you want to have elements in the periodic table. So what would happen? All right. What if that strong nuclear force was just slightly weaker? He uses the figure of 5%. Now, remember, this is a second dial that we've got to tune just right. If it was 5% weaker, then only hydrogen would exist for any appreciable amount of time. Every other element would fall apart. It, it couldn't hold itself together. He said there'd only be hydrogen in the universe. Of course, then he kids around. He says, boy, wouldn't that make high school chemistry easy? And he says on the wall of every high school chemistry class would be the periodic table, and there'd just be H. <laughs> there would only be one element there, hydrogen. He says, boy, every student would sign up for that class. It'd be so easy. He says, once you learn about hydrogen, you're done. So he said, uh, but we have more than that, right? We've got all these elements that exist. Now, what happens if that dial is twisted slightly the other way? He said, if the strong nuclear force were only 2% stronger, then you'd get protons and neutrons binding themselves so strongly they would have massive nuclei, massive nuclei, and that would disrupt living systems. They would be highly radioactive. They'd be destructive to all of us, and you'd find very little light nuclei like hydrogen, so there wouldn't be enough stars that would live a long time because stars burn the hydrogen, and very few compounds that had hydrogen, and guess what has hydrogen? Water. So that has to be, he calls it, it's balanced on a fine edge. If you have slightly less strength inside holding the nucleus together, or if you have slightly more strength, you don't get a universe with life forms. Well, here's the third thing, right? So we've been talking about two things so far, how much stuff we have in the universe and what kind of gravitational pull we have, the strong nuclear force to hold the nuclei together. The third thing is the formation of carbon. And, uh, you know, I'd heard at one time, oh, uh, you know, if you think everything is fine-tuned because of carbon, uh, you know, what if life forms can be based on other elements? But he said carbon is the building block of all life in the universe. So you can't, sorry, but you can't have like a Star Trek where you have rocks that uh, are alive. Remember the Horta? Okay, that's kind of nerdy, I guess. Okay, back to reality here. But most scientists would agree that he says that carbon is really the only element that you could get life based on. It's the only element that can form long molecules so you can encode information, you know, like DNA. So where do, where do carbon and all these other elements come from? They're from the death of stars. So stars have a life cycle. We look at them, we, we think they must go on forever, but they don't. They're born when you get hydrogen and helium attracted by gravity and they collect into a dense gaseous object and then that gas gets compressed and compressed and compressed and finally, whoosh, it ignites, it burns. And it burns, okay, but after a while, as the fuel is exhausted, the stars die. But when they die, they're crushed down deep inside and they create heavier elements like carbon and then they're spewed out. And they're like ashes 
of the star, but they're thrown out into the universe. And he says, we are all made of stardust. That's interesting. I think uh, uh, somebody else said that. Carl Sagan, I think, was the one. We're all made of stardust. He says, all right, this is where the story gets interesting. And he kids around. He says, well, it gets interesting for me, but he says, I'm a physics nerd. But he says, when you try to, inside the dying star, when you're looking at how carbon gets created there, he said, there's a series of events. It's not just simply the the collapse of the star crushes it and all of a sudden you get carbon. He said to form carbon in a dying star, two helium nuclei first come together and they produce a beryllium nucleus that has to fuse with another helium nucleus to create carbon. So that beryllium, if it falls apart too quickly, it can't react with anything else to form the carbon. But if it hangs around too long, that also screws it up and you can't get carbon. So he said, I won't go into the detail of how all this works, but he said, it's really complicated. You've got all these things going on. And uh, said uh, an astronomer named Owen Gingrich said, had the residence level in the carbon, now we're talking about this way that carbon is created, had it been 4% higher, there'd be no carbon. But he said, if you had slightly less of this uh, event going on, then says virtually all the carbon would have been converted to oxygen and then we wouldn't be here tonight. So he says, do you see that coincidence for life to exist? There has to be carbon, but the carbon only forms by this three-part process that goes on inside dying stars. So as a conclusion, he uh, quotes from several people here. Uh, let me go back to Gribben and Rees. He mentions them again in the Cosmic Coincidences. He says, the conditions in our universe really do seem to be uniquely suitable for life forms like ourselves and perhaps for any form of organic complexity, for any form of organic complexity. So they're willing to say it's not just to create humans, but the conditions of the universe don't seem to be able to produce, if they're changed at all, any of these uh, parameters, no form of organic complexity. Alan Sandage he won a prize in astronomy. It's the most pre prestigious prize in the field. He said he found the evidence for Christianity compelling. He said, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence why there is something instead of nothing. So that's the chapter that I wanted to leave with you. I really like what he says there. And that's just one chapter about the fine-tuning of the universe. Then he talks about, and I won't spend the time on that now, but he talks about, okay, that's the universe. What about where we are? Well, he looks at the galaxy. Things have to be exactly right for our galaxy. He looks at our sun, the solar system. Everything has to be right about that. What about our planet? So much of the planet has to be exactly right. And when he gets done, he says there's a physicist who's, an astrophysicist, I think it is, who has said probably to get a planet just like ours, the the chance is 10 to the 282nd. In other words, a 1 followed by 282 zeros. So he says uh, that's just probably impossible in the whole universe that we'll never find another planet that could support life forms like us. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this book, The, Creation, the Creator Revealed, uh, Mike Strauss, 
a really interesting book. A lot of people like it. And uh, I've had people who, because of our summer apologetic series, listened to him, watched him, and went out and bought the book and said, wow, this is really good stuff. By the way, if you'd like to see him speak, uh, contact me and I'll tell you how to do the YouTube link. And uh, you can go listen to him yourself. Just gary.zacharias at gmail.com. gary.zacharias at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to send you a link and you can listen to Mike speak. All right, well, thanks for listening and uh, we'll do another podcast soon.